0: Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. You're listening to the original radio show and podcast about food and wine, broadcast from Paris, France. On Paris Good Food and Wine, We delve into the topics of food, wine, and all their related subjects, talking with an array of people whose expertise both pepper and help ferment the food and wine scene in Paris, France, and the world at large. We're glad you can join us here for the delicious stories we bring you on Paris good food, and wine. Please leave your comments, reviews, and suggestions. You can also contact us at our Twitter, at ParisFoodWine, or on our website, parisfoodandwine.net, or on my Instagram, page, P-A-I-G-E, food, wine. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Tune in Radio, and wherever you download your podcasts. There are a number of trending topics in food today, but the two most central for me are food as medicine and food as a weapon. In this episode of Local Good Food and Wine, we're going to examine more closely these extraordinarily relevant topics, both of which have deep social and economic impact. The example we're going to use for food as medicine is undoubtedly an ingredient that the vast majority of you already have in your kitchen cupboards. In fact, one of the beauties about food is medicine is that it makes us take a second look at everyday ingredients. When we look at these ingredients with more knowledge and respect for what they offer the human body and brain, it's as if we're discovering treasures that have been humbly sitting beneath our noses for eons, just waiting for us to understand their true worth and value to our health. When you hear this everyday food ingredient I'll reveal to you today, you'll no doubt be mind blown about all its magic properties. For the Food as a Weapon segment, we'll look at the recent trend in America of concentrating large percentages of farmland in a single person's hands. As Vandana Shiva puts it, control the food source, control the people, control the country. Vandana Shiva is a physicist turned earth and biodiversity advocate. You can find out more about her at navdanya.org. See our show notes at localfoodandwine.wordpress.com for the link. Up, let's look at food as medicine. Okay, in case you gave it a guess, we're going to be examining olive oil today. Olive oil is more, much more, than just a seasoning for your salads. Olive oil is a miracle medicine when used in the right ways. It has many more beneficial effects on your body and well being than you may have ever imagined. Some of the health benefits are antioxidants, liver cleanse, strengthening of the immune system, and vitamins A, D, E, and K. But there's more. This following is courtesy of Workout4D. We'll link to them in our show notes. For the best health benefits, it's recommended that you consume the oil with or without some fresh squeezed lemon juice on an empty stomach in the morning, or it can also be consumed just before you go to sleep.
1: Drinking olive oil on an empty stomach for 7 days Olive oil is packed with a lot of vitamins, fatty acids and macronutrients. This oil is very valuable for our health when you drink 1 tablespoon of olive oil on an empty stomach. Before we continue, please subscribe to our channel and press the bell icon so you don't miss any upcoming informative videos like this. Number 1. Detox the liver the liver performs a very important role for the body it cleans our internal systems and sometimes we need to clean the liver itself you can do this easily with olive oil take two tablespoons of olive oil and mix with the juice of half a lemon consume this every morning on an empty stomach number two decrease bad cholesterol level olive oil helps reduce the level of bad cholesterol LDL by increasing the good cholesterol level (HDL), Drinking olive oil on an empty stomach helps cleanse arteries from bad cholesterol and keep cardiovascular disease away. Number 3. Heals the colon. Olive oil prevents cells from damage which leads to cancer. It helps improve the digestive health and provides relief from constipation. Number 4. Better hair, skin, nails and bones. Olive oil is also beneficial for hair, nails, skin and bones. This oil repairs, moisturises, nourishes and promotes hair and nail growth. We can use it as a skin or hair mask, but olive oil will be more helpful if you consume it internally. Number 5. Weight Management Olive oil contains fatty acids. By drinking this healthy fat, you will feel fullness for a long time and provide you with energy as well. If you are a butter lover this is the best alternative for you. Number six controls blood sugar level. Olive oil lowers cholesterol and blood glucose level significantly therefore olive oil is very useful for diabetes and heart health. Number seven strengthens the immune system. The fatty acids in the olive oil play a major role in various immune functions they help regulate and support our immune system and also help in getting rid of autoimmune diseases number eight reduces inflammation olive oil works superbly to reduce inflammation in the body research has shown that drinking three tablespoons of olive oil act as effectively as a dose of ibuprofen number nine protects the brain olive oil helps decrease the risk of many diseases such as depression mental disease and Alzheimer's. It boosts our memory and overall brain health. Number 10 enlarge the size of breasts. Olive oil will be extremely beneficial when you use it for enlarging purposes. Drink two tablespoons of olive oil on an empty stomach and massage your chest area in a circular motion for 10 to 15 minutes every day. Start massaging from outside to inside. This method will accelerate the blood flow in this region and stimulate the growth and increase elasticity in 15
0: days. Okay, so let's recap those health benefits. By simply drinking 2 tablespoons of virgin pressed olive oil first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, you can 1. Detox the liver. 2. Decrease bad cholesterol levels. 3. Help heal the colon. four. Boost the health and appearance of your hair, skin, nails, and bones. 5. Assist with weight management. 6. Control blood sugar levels. 7. Strengthen the immune system. 8. Reduce inflammation, including in joints. 9. Protect the brain. 10. It can also help firm and strengthen breast elasticity. Other things that olive oil can do is be a good source of vitamins A, D, E, and K. And it also appears to offer some antibacterial properties, though not enough research has yet been done on this aspect. And so, so far, in that category, it's beaten out by coconut oil. Okay, so see, that's a lot of superpowers for a small, humble olive. Plus, as far as medicines go, a liter of top-shelf virgin-pressed olive oil will cost you about 20 bucks, So this is a hugely economical health boost ingredient with no reported side effects. I guess this is one of the main reasons why everyone is always going on and on about the health of the Mediterranean diet. And I always thought we could just chalk that up to red wine. (laughs) Also, full disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor and this is not medical advice. So consult your physician on any dietary changes or supplements first before implementing. As a contrast to food as medicine, overly processed foods can have seriously detrimental effects, including on our brains, our mood, and our overall sense of well-being, If you'd like to explore that topic more, please see our show notes at localfood.wine or localfoodandwine.wordpress.com, where we've included a link to a well-researched and informative documentary by Doce on the human brain and food's effects on it. Thank you for tuning in to Local Good Food and Wine. It's been a pleasure to have you join us here. I'm your host, Paige Donner. You can find the show on Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and pretty much anywhere and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Please follow up on our show notes at localfood.wine or localfood.com and wine.wordpress.com. There's lots of good information in there on this episode and past episodes, including links and article references. It's also a great place where you can leave your comments, suggestions, or even just tell us how much you like the show. Okay, so now let's turn to the subject of food as a weapon. Certainly the timing is good for a fresh look at this subject, given all the recent uprisings and protests in India by their farmers. They're protesting new agricultural laws put in place back in September that were suspended in January but not yet repealed. Interestingly, the latest on these protests is that they are being led by India's women farmers, a segment of the agricultural economy long overlooked. Here's what Time.com has to say about this issue. Quote, the laws, suspended in January by the Supreme Court but not yet repealed, would allow private corporations to buy directly from farmers, which they say would leave them at the mercy of buyers and do away with the traditional wholesale market system, or mandis, where they're assured a minimum set price for certain crops. Women who form the backbone of Indian agriculture may be particularly vulnerable to corporate exploitation. According to Oxfam India, 85% of rural women work in agriculture, but only around 13% own any land. Women are not seen as farmers. Their labor is immense, but invisible, says Jasbir Kaur Nat. You can find a link to that article on our website at localfood.wine or localfoodandwine.wordpress.com. Now, this is what Vandana Shiva has to say about the concentration of the production of food into centralized hands of big business. In essence, she's saying that to have peace, we must have locally grown food. Because concentrating the production of food into the hands of a few translates into control control the food production control the population, control the country. Here she is on Food Farmer Earth.
2: I think the first thing to recognize about hunger is that today it's a rural phenomenon. It's mainly in third world countries, and it's mainly among communities that are actually agricultural communities. So why are people who are growing food going hungry themselves? They're going hungry because everything they have grown has to be sold in order to pay for the costly seeds and the costly chemicals. So a high-cost chemical intensive agriculture is a recipe for hunger. Secondly, the models of agriculture that chemical farming has promoted are monocultures. Monocultures are nutritionally impoverished. The same acre of land using biodiversity, using organic and ecological methods could produce five to ten times more nutrition than a monoculture can. So maximizing the production of commodities for international trade is directly proportionate to the decrease in nutrition availability to local communities, which is why hunger grows. If the the world has to be fed, it has to be fed by growing food locally to be used locally as the biggest proportion of the food basket. Some elements will be traded internationally, But what is traded internationally should not be staple foods. What is traded internationally should be that extra flavor of spices from India and coffee from Guatemala. That's all right. But to turn the world into a dependency on staples has nothing to do with feeding the world. It has a lot to do with controlling the food supply. The United States evolved a phrase during the Vietnam War. And the phrase was, food as a weapon, the use of food as the ultimate weapon of control. And the tragedy is the growth of agribusiness in the U.S. has gone hand in hand with the U.S. foreign policy to deliberately create hunger locally in order to make the world dependent on food supplies through which you can then control countries and their decision-making ability. So hunger is, has become an instrument of war. And food responding to that artificially created hunger is an instrument of war. Peace means you grow food locally, you grow food with peace, you grow food non-violently, and the countries that are today the worst victims of hunger could be the highest producer of food. Africa has the largest land per, per human being, per capita. Africa is an abundant continent, and yet because of the deliberate policies... It has today been turned into a continent of hunger. India, which has the best soils, the best monsoons, the highest biodiversity, should not have any problem. We are growing enough food, and yet 70% of our children are going hungry because the economic system is robbing them of their right to food. So food production must once again be an issue of sustainability, taking care of the earth, and the human right to food must be an inalienable right These rights cannot be ensured through a marketplace where food has become a commodity and a subject of speculation. We saw what speculation did in 2008. Food prices doubled and the companies that control the food system doubled their profits while riots took place in 40 countries.
0: Now, it's easy to find more of this enigmatic sages, Vandana Shiva's, comments on this latest farmland grab by Bill Gates, one of the world's richest men on your favorite internet video channels. So I'll leave you to search and explore yourselves. However, here I would like to point out that Bill Gates made the land reports list of top 100 United States landowners for the first time for the year 2020, the list only having been released since January. He's now ranked at number 49. So he entered the top 100 list at number 49. This following short audio clip is courtesy
3: of Forbes. Bill Gates has been snatching up 242,000 acres of farmland across the U.S., enough to make him the top private farmland owner in America. According to the Land Report, the tech billionaire has been purchasing agricultural land for years, building a massive portfolio of farmland in 18 states. His largest holdings are more than 69,000 acres in Louisiana, almost 48,000 acres in Arkansas, and about 20,500 acres in Nebraska. Additionally, he has a stake in 25,750 acres of traditional land in Phoenix, Arizona, which is being developed as a new suburb. It's not clear how Gates's farmland is being used or whether any of the land is being set aside for conservation. This is not Gates's only foray into agriculture. In 2008, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation announced $306 million in grants to promote high-yield, sustainable agriculture among farmers in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, the foundation also invested in the development of super crops resistant to climate change and higher yield dairy cows. While Gates may be the country's biggest farmland owner, he's not the largest individual landowner. According to the Land Report's list of the top 100 American landowners, Liberty Media Chair John Malone is the largest landowner with 2.2 million acres of ranches and forests.
0: Gates' farmlands are managed by Cascade Investment which is controlled by Gates himself. He also started Ag One in 2020. Ag One is also known as the Bill and Melinda Gates Agricultural Innovations LLC. It's a subsidiary of the Gates Foundation and is led by the former executive of Monsanto's International Development Division. Quote, in short, they're hoping to artificially accelerate the process of introducing new technologies to farmers through increased investment and public and private partnerships while having total freedom in their business model as a separate entity to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, so says the Independent Science News. So, when you turn to the CGIAR website, you see that Bill Gates graces its homepage today, Money Talks. The lead article is, Bill Gates on CGIAR and Adapting to a Warmer World. CGIAR is headquartered in Montpellier, France. According to Independent Science News, quoting directly from the CGIAR website, quote, according to the CGIAR announcement, $310 million U.S. dollars is to be given by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation over the next three years to support CGIAR's shared agenda to tackle climate change, and make food production in the developing world more productive, resilient, and sustainable. The foundation is the second largest donor to CGIAR after the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, with investments contributing to work in crop breeding, seed systems, gender equity, livestock, nutrition, and policy, thus aligning the vision of CGIAR with that of Ag1. Now you can find links to all of those citations on our show notes at localfood.wine and also at localfoodwine and and localfoodandwine.wordpress.com. So what's so potentially sinister about the above? Well, as Independent Science News states, quote, private agendas of making profits will be clothed as the public agenda. I'm letting that sink in for a moment. Let me repeat. Private agendas of making profits will be clothed as the public agenda. These agendas will be even further blurred through the launching of Ag One. This merger also provides unprecedented leverage on individual country policies and mass access to genetic seed resources. This hunger for influencing global food policy comes as no surprise, as the Gates Foundation website itself states, a key trigger of agricultural transformation is a conducive policy environment. Close quote. Again, that whole citation is from Independent Science News. I encourage you to read the entire article, which offers in-depth contextual references and astute analysis. You can find the link to the Independent Science News article on our show notes at localfood.wine and localfoodandwine.wordpress.com. Whichever way you slice it, ag tech is definitely on the rise. Another endeavor being pursued by Gates is that he recently put a $7 million equity stake in AgBiome. AgBiome is a biotech startup focused on developing synthetic biological products through CRISPR technology for the agricultural sector. AgBiome investors include agrochem companies Monsanto and Syngenta and it has received a $20 million grant from the Gates Foundation to develop pesticides for Africa. Okay, now what are some other developments in ag tech, as opposed to the above trends, which appear to be oriented primarily towards enriching big agrochemical companies, that we can look to with hope in our hearts? Well, there are a growing number of startups who are successfully cultivating crops in a variety of innovative manners. A few examples of urban fresh food production has crops of lettuce and other leafy greens grown in shipping containers, examples in the U.S. and France, or in underground former bomb shelters, London, and even on vertical walls and inside office buildings, pretty much around the globe. Personally, as I contemplate this issue more deeply, I wonder if the real solution to food production is to enable ourselves individually, to cultivate as much as possible in our immediate surroundings. I have long been a proponent of grow local, buy local, which is why I named my website Local Food and Wine back in 2009. But I am now thinking even more hyper-local, as in your backyard, if you're lucky enough to have one, or even a windowsill or a closet or a garage. With the home farming gardening techniques that are coming onto market these days and in the near future, the fact that we don't all grow our own tomatoes, chives, carrots, and zucchinis will be just a question of laziness in years to come. In fact, I can envision easily that we one day have a pantry, not of canned goods, but an alive pantry filled with growing microcrops like cherry tomatoes, basil, fresh mint, and romaine lettuce, for starters. Whatever our future holds, food security is a big issue. Make no mistake, it's an important issue, as is the freshness of our food and the integrity of it, meaning that we have control over whether it's been subject to harmful chemicals, which we then put inside our bodies. In other words, the future of food could mean that home gardening is not just a hobby. It's tomorrow's healthy food revolution. And it's here, today. I'm Paige Donner. The show is produced and broadcast from Paris, France. It's Paris's first-ever homegrown English-language radio show about food and wine. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Paris, Good Food and Wine. I want to say a big thank you, a kon merci beaucoup, to everyone who helped make this podcast possible, and that includes you too, our listeners. We greatly appreciate that you listen to us. We really do. So leave your comments, suggestions, and reviews on our website at parisfoodandwine.net. You can find our show notes at localfoodandwine. That's localfood.wine. Also localfoodandwine.wordpress.com. On Twitter, you can find us at LocalFoodWine and at ParisFoodWine. So from your host and producer, me, Paige Donner, I want to wish you a bonne degustation and à toutes et à tous, à votre santé, from Paris, good food and wine.